Hey, let me talk to you just for a second, or literally more than a second, but <laughs> uh, what's going to happen here in the next two weeks in the life of our church. It's really a very, very important time uh, for the growth and for the future of our church. The first thing is this. You guys know we're not celebrating Easter here next week, right? Uh, okay, great. Uh, 9 and 11 o'clock, Memorial Hall. Memorial Hall is the intersection of Union and Grand right next to Angelo's on the, uh, on the Riverwalk. We're doing two services there. It has deep spiritual meaning in, in the life of our church because Memorial Hall is where God birthed this church out of. And some of you, uh, you were there that day. And it was just a handful of, of people that got together with a dream to plant a church. And, and uh, I remember the days when everyone would fit in my living room. And so we just trusted God. And, and who would know 15 years later this would be where we'd be and, and we'd go back and one service wouldn't hold us and and so we're going to do two services nine and eleven o'clock let me just tell you invite your friends this will be the easiest opportunity you have to invite friends uh even if they're not your friend maybe they'll maybe you'll turn them into a friend there who knows what'll happen second thing is this uh be extra extra friendly i know we have a friendly church and you guys are great but at this service we're gonna have a lot of new people and a lot of new faces so would you get out of your comfort zone and and shake hands and introduce yourself and don't worry whether they've been here forever or it's their first sunday there uh just greet them and if they say hey we've been here forever just laugh about it and go on don't don't be embarrassed about that kind of thing and so so easter memorial hall two services nine and eleven and then, then one other thing is just critically important to our church, and, and that is this Lincoln Brewster concert. And Lincoln Brewster uh, wrote uh, some of our favorite songs that we do here. Uh, Love the Lord, I think, was the, the, the first one that we did. Everlasting God, Majestic, Today is the Day. Um, it was in the video. Every Day, Amaze, Surrender, which is my favorite. Uh, Let the Praises Ring. And listen, I... I believe with all my heart, uh, God has called me here to change a culture. And I've been pretty upfront with you about that. And that song wipes me out about God of the city. And greater things are yet to be done. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that. And Karen and I, we plan on retiring here with you guys. And uh, well, thank you. I've, I've always hated it in church life that pastors just continually move to the one church and then to a bigger church and to a bigger church. And, and uh, I've always wondered, why didn't God ever call someone to a smaller church? <laughs> anyway, that's just me. And uh, I'm not looking for another church. I got a church. And I got a great church. And you guys are awesome. And so one of the things I know about the, the culture here in Pueblo, a couple of things. One... The Christian community is just fragmented beyond belief. That's why there's not a lot of power spiritually in this community. It starts with the churches. And there's a lot of pastors that look at each other with, with uh, like they're the enemies. Uh, they're the competitors. We only have one competitor. And it's not the other churches in, in our community. And, uh, and so I also know another culture about Pueblo is Pueblo generally doesn't turn out for concerts. I just know that. I mean, everybody's talked about that a few years ago. Uh, Sticks uh, sold out in Denver in, in 15 minutes. And, uh, and then the, so they opened a concert here at the event center on Thursday night. Unfortunately, I had to do a wedding rehearsal, couldn't go. Or I would have gone. They only sold 1,200 tickets. 
That's it. That's all sticks could sell. So I understand that, that Pueblo, I mean, people will drive to Springs and people will drive to Denver for concerts, but they won't support them here. And I don't understand that culture. But, but here's what we've learned through life journaling in the book of Joshua is this, that the reasons that we gather is not only for sacrifices and not only for worship, but it's also a witness into a community that the Lord is God and that he is good. What would happen is we as a church, we decided that, you know what? We're going to step out on faith and we're going to buy tickets and we're going to turn out to this concert and we're going to send a message to the city. You may not be able to sell out on secular concerts, but the Christians will all gather because they won't. Yeah. And so, so to the very best of my ability, I, mean, I understand completely. Some of you may have never gone to a Christian concert. It's really not a concert. It's a worship experience. It is unbelievable. Steve Allen has seen uh, Lincoln Brewster five times. Do you realize that anywhere else you would spend $50 or more to see Lincoln Brewster? And this, we're, this church, we're not making any money. This is not about finances. I've, listen, I've never lived my life uh, and led a ministry based upon the bottom line. That's, that's, there's no trust there. So this isn't about, we're, we're going to make, it's just a matter of, of how much we'll kick in, subsidize. That's all it is. So we're not going to make any money, even if we sell it out. And so uh, keep, uh, KBIQ 102, the Christian radio station in the Springs, they're so pumped up about this, they're sending a van down. They're going to do a live show from Memorial Hall. While the concert's going on, they'll do their broadcast from there. They'll invite. I mean, it, they're going to give giveaways. It is going to be, this is going to be the quality of a concert that you would see in Springs or Denver. And what would happen if we changed the culture to where Springs and Denver begin to drive here for their stuff? Wouldn't that be a cool deal instead of them talking about us? Yeah, we know it goes on, Right? And so here, here's, my, here's my deal. Would you just trust me? And uh, would you just support this event? And, and come, and it's going to be unbelievable what's going to go on. Uh, I told our college kids, and I'm so thankful that we have a church, that it's all age groups is represented here. So college students, I'll give you a ticket. Uh, yeah. So... so uh, you guys, after the service, you go to the welcome area where the tickets are. You tell them, any of the college students, C CSU Pueblo, anywhere, PCC, whoever. You go, tell them you're a student, they'll give you a ticket. Tell your friends on campus that we're giving away tickets to college students, and we'll see that they're there too. What a cool deal if a church reached out to a, to a campus and said, we want to see college students uh, be a part of this. So I'm, And then here's what I'm willing to do for you. I'll give you a money-back guarantee. This is how much I believe in this. You, you come to this event, and if it doesn't bless your life, uh, you email me, charlie at fellowshiptherockies.org. Tell me how many tickets you purchased. I'll return your money. Because I, I just believe in what we're doing, and I believe in this, and I can't change a culture without you. I can lead you. I can take the risk, but I can't change it without you. So also next Saturday night, 
uh, 6.30 Memorial Hall. We're, we're, we're getting our leaders together, but I want to invite anyone. You want to show up at 6.30 and pray. Uh, you'll pray individually. We'll pray for the services. We'll pray uh, over, the, the, over Memorial Hall. And then we're going to end up together. You'll be given cards and stuff. And we'll end up together. And then we're going to have a private time of worship and corporate prayer together for those that show up. Because here's the deal. If God doesn't show up to this, it's not a church. And we're just another organization. And we're asking for him to show up big time. So that's my infomercial. I'm done uh, with that part. <laughs> Buy your tickets. And, and here's what God's teaching me, and then we'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what God is teaching me the same way he teaches you. We're all on a spiritual journey. And uh, if you weren't with us last week, it's unbelievable what God is doing in this place. In the, in the last six or seven uh, months, we've grown 20 to 30%. And... Uh, and then, and then here a while back on a Saturday night, there was a lot of people that came down to the altar and, and uh, I went home with great expectations of what God would do the next day and uh, kind of expecting God to do some things and then nobody came down. And I was kind of mad with God and God was like, I move when I want to, not when, I don't, I don't have to move every service like that. God moves every service. There's just sometimes it's more visible than others. And so this last Saturday night, so many people came down. We had people in the aisles and there were people everywhere. And so I went home and said, okay, God, you don't have to do that tomorrow, but it'd be nice. You know, I'm, I'm not expecting it, but it, it'd be cool. And then the early service, the same thing happened. I mean, people came and humbled themselves before the Lord and just, and then the, then, and then the late service, God taught me something else because towards the end of my sermon, people just started coming down without me me ever saying a word that you need to come down and pray and they I'm ending my sermon and they're they're kneeling and God taught me I don't even need you to give an invitation I'll bring people to myself I just need you to be faithful and so I just want us to be faithful as a church and be willing to take risks and be willing to sense his spirit so if you would uh, man get your tickets uh, bring your friends. It's going to be, un I promise you, it's going to be unbelievable. Well, okay. Today, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 through 21 is what we're going to look at. And we're going to talk about a subject that's kind of a, for them, it was a real difficult subject for us. See, Paul gave this subject, gave this talk as correction to the church. There were some things going on. There were some carnal Christians. We'll talk about that. There were some things that he was trying to correct in their behavior. I am so thankful that, that, that I am not given this sermon as correction of some stuff that we're doing wrong or needs to change, but I'm able to give this sermon as instruction or as a warning that we will never go there as a church. And it's this issue of, of carnal Christians, the carnality, the flesh of man, and the, the struggle that goes on with that. And, and, uh, Carnal Christians is this, is someone that is a professed believer, may have met Christ, but boy, they are hurtful and they are mean and they are painful. And guess what? There are whole churches that that's their theology, that they got their, their carnal churches. In other words, every weekend when you go there, they want to make sure you know that you're a dirty, rotten, big, bad sinner. They want to let you know that for some reason you just don't measure up and they want to leave you like that. So there's, whole, there's Christians that are like this and then there are churches that are like this where there's just not much grace at all. 
And so there's three principles that Paul gives us, and then we're going to end up with communion, and we'll talk about that. The first principle is this that Paul tells them is carnal Christians do not appreciate their leaders. In other words, carnal Christians do not appreciate their leaders. Part of spiritual maturity is, is when you and I appreciate the things that people have poured into us, the things that people have done to us or for us spiritually. I still remember a lot of my Sunday school teachers as a kid. I may not remember everything they taught, but boy, I remember their face. I remember their love. I remember their, their, their acceptance. I remember some of the things that they did for us. And so part of spiritual maturity is when you and I come to the point to where we appreciate what someone has done for us verse 11 Paul says this I have been a fool you have forced me to it for I ought to have have been commended by you for I was not all inferior to these super apostles they were the false apostles remember they were the guys that had the great oratory gifts the platform gifts the, the charisma but there was no spiritual depth in fact some of them didn't even know Christ and so they were comparing Paul to them and they, they said we like those guys a lot better than you and so, and even though I am nothing, and so Paul's like, you know what, I've been a fool. I mean, I'm having, I've planted this church, I've served alongside of you, I've led you to Christ, I've ministered to you, I'm not even taking a salary from this church. I mean, I was so concerned about the health of this church, I'm not even getting paid by this church, I'm getting paid by other churches to support me, so I don't even have to take a salary. I, he, he said, I, I could take a salary, that would be my right, but I just don't feel I should. And now I have to get out my resume and I have to go through my credentials with you? I mean, he said, you should be commending me. You're taking advantage of me. Watch this, verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. Now listen, we're out of the apostolic age. This was during the apostolic age. This is before the Bible, before the canon was closed. And uh, so the, the apostles, is to verify that they were of God, uh, did certain things. They were able to protect the future. They could perform miracles. There are even stories where they raised the dead. I mean, they did all kinds of things, and it was a sign that they are an apostle of God, that they're, they're of God. It was a confirmation. And Paul says, guess what? I've done all of this. I've done all of this before you. He said, not only that, he said, I've been generous. He says, for for in what, uh, what were you less favored than the, the, than the rest of the churches except that I myself did not burden you forgive me for this wrong have you ever done that with a carnal person see a carnal person you can never do enough a part a carnal person you will never please a hard-hearted a cold-blooded person there's just have you ever tried to please a carnal christian or a carnal person or someone that's hard-hearted and you did everything you could and they continually told you what you didn't do wrong how you didn't live up to their expectations how you could have done it better how you should have done it better and finally you got to the point like paul with 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 complete frustration and you said i was just trying to help you forgive me for trying to help forgive me for trying to be nice forgive me for trying to help you this is what Paul is talking about he's talking about carnal Christians that nothing you can do nothing you can do to make them happy and you know why because they're not happy they're miserable see a carnal Christian is really inside they have no peace they have no happiness listen let me tell you something you cannot do for someone what only God can do and carnal Christian this carnality They'll complain about everything. They'll find something. They'll find something. 
Well, he was loving. Watch this, verse 14. He says, here for the third time I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. Paul's saying, you guys are accusing me of wanting your money? I don't want your money. I want your soul. I want you. I'm more concerned about where you're going to spend eternal life. I'm not even taking anything from you materially. For children are not obligated, obligated to save up for their parents is what he says, for parents, for their children. And so Paul was saying, you know, spiritually, I'm like your spiritual father because I've led you to the Lord and, and, uh, and you're like my spiritual children. And, and we know this is what he's saying. We're not obligated. Parents are, children aren't obligated to save up for the parents. Parents are obligated to save up for the children. I mean, this works in my home all the time. Even though we got two girls that are graduated college and one's married and they both live in the Springs and, and one just graduated, got her first job. Glory, hallelujah, amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you. And when we still go out to dinner, when I take them and, you know, we're all out to dinner and Amanda has her boyfriend and Corey and Brittany has Corey, her husband, you know, when the check comes, they don't even flinch. They don't even move. It doesn't even affect them. I mean, why? Because dad's going to pay. And then if, if Brittany's husband, Corey, if he has a weak moment and he goes for the check, Brittany reaches over and says, bam, do not do that. Dad will get this. Do not. That's my Starbucks money. Do not do that. Now, I don't mind doing it, but I want them to be thankful, right? I want them to be, appreci I want them to be appreciative of it. I mean, Karen and I love to bless our kids and give them gifts that, that you know, they go nuts about and they get excited. And, and if, if we give them a gift and they don't get excited, I'm like, you better get excited. I'll take it back today. <laughs> I don't care if it's Christmas Day. I will, I will, take, it, I, I will take it back. And so this was Paul. He says, I don't mind. I just want you to appreciate it. And so he was loving. And verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your soul. So that's, he said, I don't want your money. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Have you ever felt that about a hard-hearted, cold-blooded person, carnal Christian? The more you love them, the less they love you. The more you do for them, the more they criticize you. The more you do for them, the more they just like stomp on your heart. That's Paul. I'm loving you more and more. And it seems like you're loving me less and less. Second thing about carnal Christians is this, is carnal Christians are hardened to people and to God. Now we're starting to get to the root of it. Carnal Christians are hardened to people and, and they're hardened to the, the things of God. And See, carnal Christians are the people that are always questioning someone's motives. They're so cynical. And they got so much cynicism going on in their life, but they're always questioning people's motives. And they were refusing to help Paul. They were refusing to support Paul because they were questioning his motives and said, well, you may not be getting a salary from us, but that's why, that's why you took up that offering to the Jerusalem church. That's why you did this, because you realize it's a con. You realize that you could say you're not getting paid by the church, but you need to help the Jerusalem church. And then what you're doing, you're taking that whole offering for yourself. 
no matter what you do, you can't please people that have been hardened to God and to people. Verse 16, but granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Carnal Christians, they'll question your motives. It's the most frustrating thing to be questioned on. How do you prove it? Paul's saying, you know what? You know what you're saying? That I've gotten to you. That I've been deceitful. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go. In other words, guess what? There's financial accountability. I got a group of men that actually are taking the money when you look at to Jerusalem. I urged Titus to go and the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Why aren't you accusing Titus of this? He took the money. I mean, Paul's perplexed. Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps in life? I mean, there are, and, but there's still people today that they are continually questioning the motives of people. That missionary that's asking for money, he's a con. That person that's asking for a handout, that person that's asking for money, they're going to drink it up. They're going to they're do drugs with it. They're not going to use it in the right way. Oh, that person that says they're a Christian, that person that accepted Christ, it wasn't genuine. I will never forget this. When we were new in town and when we had started the church and, and we, we led a guy to the Lord that was a high-profile guy in the community and had a, just had a past, a lot of, lot of bad stuff in his life, like many of us. And we baptized him. And I had someone walk up to me, no longer in our church, and so I had someone walk up to me and say, you know what, I know that guy. That wasn't genuine. He's trying to help his reputation. That's a carnal Christian that believes they can look into your soul and question and determine your, your motives. Man, do you trust people? I mean, we're supposed to be discerning, and I understand that. Do you realize if you trust people and you give, you will be taken advantage of on occasion? I'm going to tell you a story that I'm really embarrassed about, but I, I believe with all my heart God wants me to tell this illustration. And, and I know you guys are used to me being transparent and hope this won't wreck you, but uh, the first part of the story about me is I get an A. But the second part... I mean, I'm in the negative numbers. It's, it's, you can't get a bigger F than this. I'd worked late one night, and it was snowing and rainy, and it was cold, and I came out of the, my church office about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, headed to the car. Guy rides up on a bicycle. He's snow all over him, and he's wet. And he, he, he says, you know what? I, I'm going to have to sleep on the streets unless someone helps me with a hotel room. And so he told me his story. And I'm really, truly an easy touch. Now, after the first two services, after I said that, everybody's like asking me for money. So, <laughs> but I'm an easy touch because I've lived my life in faith and I believe my resources aren't my resources. They're God's. I'm just a steward of them and I just steward them and it's up to him. I've lived my, I would have never done what we've done if I didn't have that thought and that belief. And so I provided for him personally 
a night stay in a hotel to get him off the streets. About four or five weeks later, after a Saturday night service, uh, someone comes back in after church let out. Someone comes back in the service and says, hey, there's a guy on a bicycle, and he's asking people for money. And he's making people really uncomfortable out there, and, and uh, can you do something? And I'm like, so I look out, it's him. I said, what story did he tell you? Same story he told me. So if the story was genuine, he couldn't tell the story again. Okay? I mean, you just know that. And I'm telling you, I got angry on two levels. One, that he had taken advantage of me. The second thing, he's in our parking lot and taking advantage of some of you. So I, I'm just telling you, I was angry. And so I says, I'll go talk to him. And he says, no, nah, we probably should get security to do that. No, I, I will talk to him. I know the guy. I want to talk to him. So Steve went with me, I guess, for accountability. I don't know why, but so Steve goes with me, and I go out there, and, and he's on his bicycle. I says, called him by name and said, do you remember me? He says, I remember you. I said, buddy, I, I gave you money for the same issue that you're asking for now. If you had told me the truth, you still wouldn't be, uh, be uh, asking for money. And I said, so here's what I'm going to tell you. In a spiritual way, you need, you need to leave now. And uh, the worst thing I told him was, I said, you know what? I gave you that money with pure heart and pure motives. That's God's money, and it's between you and God. That's horrible. And I said, my next phone call will be to 911, or to be police or whatever to get you out of here. He goes, no, no, I, I'm, like, I'm like leaving. And so, you know, Thursday morning, I get a call from chairman of the elders and about Charlie, you know, in the future it would be better if a security person escorted someone off our property instead of the pastor. It's really not good after, you know, people leading church and the pastor is asking someone to leave the property and a little bit angry. And uh, we all deal with it, right? If you're going to be a giver, there will be times you will be taken advantage of. It's just... It's just part of it. But I would rather, on some exceptions, be taken advantage of than become cynical, hard-hearted to people, and to God. I would rather think the best in people and be disappointed than the worst in people and be surprised. That was Paul. And if we're not careful, the carnality of man, the flesh, we're at war with this. If we're honest, with, we're at war with this at all times. And Paul goes on. And I mean, probably verse 20 is probably the most hurtful thing he said. He was basically telling them, I wish I could say being a Christian has made you a better person. You ever met people and you're like shocked that they're a Christian? where you could say these words, I only wish I could say that being a believer has made you a nicer person. But what he says, watch verse 20, for I fear that perhaps when I, when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may, not find, you may find me not as you wish. Watch this, that perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. So Paul lists some attitudes, some attributes of what a carnal Christian looks like. There's, 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 there's always quarreling. I mean, a carnal Christian is hardened to people and hardened to God. Their life is nothing but drama. 
Everywhere they go, they're mad at people. People are mad at them. They're talking bad about them. They're talking bad about them. They're like the common denominator. And their life is one broken relationship and arguments. And they're always talking about all the drama in their life. Jealousy and envy is going to be part of that. Listen, jealousy is the most devastating attitude that you could ever have, especially in a church. Because at, at the root of it, you're angry at God. At the root of jealousy and envy, you're, when, when you have jealousy because someone has more than you or, or, or they're accepted more, what, whatever, envy, do you know at the root of that, you are telling God, God, you are not providing for me enough. You are not doing enough for me. How come you're blessing them more than you bless me? At the heart of jealousy, at the heart of envy, is you have an issue with God. Someone has a bigger house than you. Someone got that dream house that you always wanted. Drive the car, the vacation, the position, whatever. At the heart of jealousy and envy. You're angry at God. Outburst of anger. To where an individual can be nice and pleasant and easy to get along with. But boy, something doesn't go their way. A decision doesn't go their way. An attitude doesn't go their way. Then they're... Their, their, their personality transforms and there's like, this, there's like this outburst of anger and they just kind of spew over every I mean they just go crackers I mean I saw it happen one time with a guy and so I, I mean I'm like I was in shock I mean and you know when you get to that point you say stuff that doesn't even make any sense and I says hey are you okay he says oh don't let it bother you he says you know what uh, I blow up, it happens for about 15 minutes, and it is done. I'm like, so is a tornado. <laughs> I mean, so is a tornado. A tornado blows through a trailer park, it dr blows through a city, and it may, happen for, it may happen for five to ten minutes. And guess what? There are people there for years, months, or years, and weeks, or however long, rebuilding entire homes, and rebuilding entire cities, and rebuilding entire structures. Yeah, it may be over for you. You may not even ever think about what you did ever again. But I promise you, the victims in that situation, they'll never forget it. They'll never forget it. And there's some people because of that that they have trouble trusting and trusting God because of that issue. Said some people love to stir up division. It's another attribute of carnality, slander and gossip. I'd rather deal with slander than gossip any day because at least slander is public. At least you know what they're saying about you. Gossip, it's stealth. It's beneath the surface. One man once said that you can get people to believe anything if you'll just whisper. There are some people, they would rather believe gossip. Man, they love it. See, carnal Christians, they're talking about the church they go to, and they're talking about everybody else's church. I mean, carnal Christians are talking about Christians around them. They're talking about, I mean, a lot of their discussion is how horrible the church is and how horrible everybody else is. And they look at it as spiritual maturity. Listen, it is not spiritual maturity. And disorder to where carnal Christians just live their life and say, you know what, nobody's going to tell me what to do. God or anybody. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. Nobody is going to tell me what to do in life. And carnal Christians can have a sour and mean 
Man, disposition. The last thing about carnal Christians is this, is that carnal Christians, they look more like the world than Christ followers. That may be the most damaging one. Paul kept going down to another level, another level, and deeper and deeper. He says, you, you, you know the worst thing? Carnal Christians look exactly like people that don't even profess Christ. They live their life the same way. They make decisions the same way. There is nothing different about their lifestyle except they say, I believe in God. Or where they go on Sunday. Or where they go on Saturday night. Watch what Paul says, verse 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those, watch this, who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Paul is saying, I'm so, one, I'm so worried. I, I just got to warn you, there are some theologians that do not believe there's any such thing as a carnal Christian. It's just someone who acts like a Christian but has never given their life to Christ. Paul leaves that kind of, it's a little bit vague. I mean, Paul is really concerned. He says, I, I'm really concerned about you. You say you've accepted Christ. You say you're a believer. But your life, it looks the same as everyone else. See, Corinth was, 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 a, was a seaport city. The sailors loved to stop in Corinth. 70% of the women were prostitutes. Prostitution was like legalized. It was an immoral place. It was like Las Vegas and San Francisco and Boulder and Atlantic City all rolled into one. Anything goes. Wheels off. Nobody can tell you how to live. Nobody can tell you what, what purity is. Just do whatever you want to do. See, they had come to the place where adultery was no longer a sin. Just part of it. You can't control yourself. Sexual immorality was not even a sin. It's just part of life. Purity in marriage, purity in dating, purity in relationships, it wasn't even a part of their society. And Paul is saying what's worse about you is that you, you say you've come to Christ and you've been forgiven of much and that he has changed you. And now you're going back to an old way of life that he saved you from. I'm just really worried about you. Have you really accepted him? Are you really a believer? Because remember, Paul was the one that says, I can, I'm more concerned about your soul than what you can give me. And Paul is saying, this is a serious subject for us to discuss. And we know it's so easy to slip back into an old way of life. And God wants us to repent. And God wants us to trust Him. Whether it's in marriage and whether it's in dating, whether it's in business practices. It's not a game we're playing. And Paul says, I'm, well, I'm so concerned about you. There's no difference. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25 that one day, depending on the life that we live, that he'll be able to say, well done, good and faithful service, servant. Benjamin Franklin said this. He says, well done is always better than well said. 
Isn't that true in life? Isn't that true in relationships? Well done. Jesus didn't say it was well said, good and faithful service, great beliefs, good and faithful service, servants, great church attendance, good and faithful servants. Jesus said, well done. Well done. 